In the summer of 2017, two longtime commercial fishermen, John Audridge and Anthony Saninsky, they went out and set out to fish for the night, and they were fishing at Montauk, off of Montauk Island and Long Island. And they headed out to sea. They were about 40 miles offshore, and very late in the night, uh, John gets up, and he begins to help uh, prepare for the next day where they would be doing some, some fishing. And he's pulling on a handle to get a piece of equipment ready, and the handle snaps. And as the handle snaps, he falls overboard and falls into the Atlantic Ocean. Well, the boat was on autopilot, and Anthony was down in the bottom of the boat sleeping for the night. So he resurfaces and realizes that no one's out there to help him. He screams for help, of course, hoping maybe, maybe just maybe, Anthony will hear his screams, will wake up and come up and help him because now he's in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, 40 miles offshore. He has no life vest on, and it's, he, he, just, he doesn't know what he's going to do. So he looks at the boat as it kind of crests over a, a wave and then is gone. He's in the middle of the ocean by himself, no flotation devices. No one knows he's out there. So he thinks, this is how I'm going to die. This is it. This is, this is how I'm going to, to slip into eternity. It's a, he was in a very hopeless situation. Well, he, he begins to calm himself down and think. And he thinks, okay, I need to figure out what I'm going to do. Because if I don't do anything, if I just stand here panicking, I, I'm surely going to die. And he begins to realize that his boots have some buoyancy to them. So he manages to take one of his boots off and he dumps out the water and puts it back under the water upside down to create an air pocket and, and it floats. So he does it to his other boot and now, now he's got a flotation device. He's got two, both of his boots under his underarms and he's, he's floating. He has a little glimmer of hope. He doesn't have to sit out there and tread water for who knows how long waiting on someone to come and get him. But he's still in a pretty precarious situation. He's still in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Still, no one knows he's out there. And he sees sharks about 15 feet away circling. So he thinks, rightfully so, this is, this is pretty hopeless. He's got a little hope. He's floating, but that's about it. So he begins to set goals. He says, all I have to do is stay alive till morning. And that's his goal. I'll just stay alive till morning, and I'll go from there. So he manages, miraculously, to survive the night. And throughout, during this time, Anthony wakes up six hours later. Realizes, John's not on the boat anymore. Don't know where John is, but he figures John's in trouble. So he calls the Coast Guard, and the Coast Guard starts searching for him. But the Atlantic Ocean is very big. They have no idea where he went out. They have no idea what, what, what happened to him. And so they, they tell, tell Anthony and tell his family, say, we're going to go look for him, but we're probably never going to find him. Well, morning comes, and John's still floating. He looks in the distance, and he sees a fishing buoy. More hope. He thinks, if I, can just, if I can just get to that buoy, maybe I'll be okay. So he manages to swim his way to that buoy, and he climbs up on the buoy, and now he's, he's at least out of the water. But it's still summertime in the Atlantic Ocean, so of course the sun's beating down on him. So he's still in a pretty difficult spot, and he still thinks, well, at least maybe they'll find my body on this buoy one day. I won't just be eaten by, you know, fish. They may find my body, but I'm still in a pretty hopeless situation. Well, about 14 hours go by, and finally John sees a helicopter in the distance. It's a Coast Guard helicopter. They're looking for him. And as they get close to the fishing buoy, John's able to, to wave his hands and splash around. They see him. 
the rescue diver dives in the ocean and comes to him. And when the rescue diver gets to John, he goes, man, we've been looking for you for nine hours. He said, I've been looking for you for two days. Now, that's, that's an incredible story, and it's, it's, it's miraculous that he survived. But he said in post-interviews, he said the only reason he was able to stay alive was because he kept getting just little glimpses of hope. I can float. That'll, that'll, I don't have to tread water so I can survive that. Oh, there's a buoy. I can get out of that water and maybe, just maybe, they'll be able to find me. And he hears helicopters in the distance. Oh, they're, they're looking for me. Maybe, just maybe, they'll, they'll come and find me. And that's, that's what hope is. It's a glimmer of maybe, just maybe. Maybe, just maybe, the doctors can help me. Maybe, just maybe, I can restore my relationship. Maybe, just maybe, I can get that job. Maybe, just maybe, this will work out. And that's what hope brings us. The maybe, just maybe. Hope is the fuel of our faith and our dreams. And hope is what we celebrate the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the season of hope. The word Advent literally means coming or arrival. It is a season marked by expectation, marked by longing, marked by hope. Advent is not an extension of Christmas. Advent and Christmas are two totally separate celebrations. Advent is a season that links the past, the present, and the future together. Advent is remembering the promises of God that began way back in Genesis where God promised to send a redeemer, to send someone to fix the mess that sin had made up. And throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, God kept reminding us of that promise and reminding Israel of his promise and give glimpses of how he'd fulfill this promise until eventually that promise was fulfilled when Jesus was born in the manger and God became flesh and dwelt among us. So during Advent, we look back to those promises and look back to how God kept his word and sent the Messiah to redeem mankind. But we're also looking forward because after Jesus came, after Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, when he ascended to heaven, he gave another promise. I've come before, I've redeemed you, but I'm coming again. So in Advent, yeah, we look back to the baby born in the manger. We also look forward to the king coming in glory. It's a time of waiting and expectation and hoping that God will keep his word. The Christmas season is, is marked by busyness and obligations. And look, Christmas, it, Christmas is, season is crazy. We've got Christmas parties. And we have really, in the church, we've really pared down. What we, you know, a couple years ago, we'd have like four, 14 Christmas parties throughout the for every, every group's going to have their own Christmas party. And now we've got this boy who's like, you know what? Just whoever wants to have one, can have one. We ain't going to do that. I'm not going to kill myself during the Christmas season making sure I have a Christmas party for every single person at church. You want to have one, have one. They're all available. You can come to any one of them. We don't care. Y'all do them. But we got Christmas parties at church. You've got Christmas parties at work. You've got friends obligations. Sometimes friends have Christmas, but they want you. There's obligations there. And then, man, the family obligations. Man, Christmas would be great if it wasn't for family, right? We've got to travel and go meet these people. And, and you have to see people you don't see regularly. And really, honestly, you probably don't want to see that often. Like, I don't want to go see Cousin Gene. I hate Cousin Gene. 
But I got to go see Cousin Jean because Grandma's going to be there. And so there's these obligations that we, we get so tied down with buying gifts. Does anyone have a Cousin Jean? Did I just insult someone's cousin? Is anyone Cousin Jean? <laughs> but we get tied down with all these obligations and these things and these presents and these traditions. And honestly, me and April, years ago, we used to make sure we did everything to make you know, every Christmas tradition. We're going to go to the parade. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're, and we had all these things we had to do to make Christmas very special. Last year, we decided we're not doing anything the kids don't ask about. So if the kids don't ask, hey, are we going to see Santa? Guess what we ain't going to do? See Santa. Because they don't care, and I don't care. So we kind of slowed down. Because Christmas can get very busy. Advent is an opportunity for us to slow down a little bit. And prepare our hearts for us to focus on a story that's greater than our own. It's the story of God's redeeming love for the world. It is a season of focusing on the reality of what it means that God sent his son to be Emmanuel. To be God with us. It's a season of expectation an opportunity. It's a time where we can focus on God's presence in our lives rather than just the presence we're going to buy for people in our lives. It's a season, it's a time for us to prepare our hearts for Christ's second coming. So, yes, Advent is, is not only a celebration that God came to fix things. God came to fix broken homes. God came to fix broken relationships. God came to fix broken lives. Advent is, all, is a celebration that God has come, and God is with us, and God is coming again. In the darkness, in the pain, in the chaos of life, he comes, and he makes a way for us to get back to him. And that's how God works about history. You see, back in the beginning, when you go back to Genesis, when God created heaven and earth and God created everything, we see the world, how God intended the world to be. Adam and Eve, of course, were, were with God in the Garden of Eden. They were able to walk with God, and God was able to physically fellowship with, with man and, and humanity. And Adam and Eve, the Bible says, they were in the garden. They were naked and unashamed. Look, naked and unashamed has nothing to do with nudity. It has to do with the fact that they were, they were unashamed of anything because there was no shame. Can you imagine what it would be like to have no shame in your life? But nowadays, people have shame for stuff they don't even do. We get shame for sin. We have shame for, for, for the problems we face. We get shame because our family may do something that embarrasses us, and we are covered in shame. But originally, we were open and honest and had nothing to be ashamed of. We were able to walk with God and fellowship with God. And look, I believe we got to chit-chat with animals. You know, it, it amazes me. You read the story. The serpent talked to Eve. She wasn't shocked. She didn't, Adam, there's a snake talking to me. I think animals and humans could talk. I could be wrong, but we don't know. We'll ask God when we get there. Amen. But originally, the world was just peace and harmony and joy. There was no pain. There was no death. There was no, no, there was no winter. Praise the Lord. No winter. I hate winter. And there was none of that. It was 75 and sunny all day long. You want to go to the beach? Boom, you're on the beach. 
That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? But then, you know the story. Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled against God. And separation came into the world. God's perfect world was broken. Suddenly the animals weren't talking anymore, they were growling. Suddenly the lion who used to lay down with the lamb and they could cuddle together, suddenly he's wanting to devour the lamb. Suddenly there's death. Suddenly there's pain. There's brokenness. Adam and Eve are separated from God. And the brokenness that we see in our world today, the, the, the pain we deal with, the heartbreak we deal with, the sickness we deal with, all the things we deal with, it is a result of sin so many years ago when brokenness entered into the world. And ever since that day, ever since Genesis 3, when God came down and Adam and Eve hid themselves because now there was sin, now there was shame. Ever since that day where God looked at Adam and said, you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow. And looked at Eve and said, you're going to be subject to your own husband. And you're going to have pain and childbirth. And looked at the serpent and said, you're going to crawl on your belly all the days of your life. And you're going to be separated from me and there's going to be pain and death. Ever since God passed judgment, he has been working to fix what was broken. He's been working to restore the relationship with mankind. And he is still at work today. And it all begins in Genesis 3, verse 15. Look what the Bible says. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Of course, this is God talking to the serpent. And he says, you're going to crawl on your belly all the days of your life. You know what that means? That meant before the fall, snakes had legs. That's creepy. This is why snakes are bad. The only good snake is what? A dead snake and a black snake because uh, they kill the other snakes. But you know, so this is why snakes are bad and we hate snakes and ugh, wickedness. And so, you know, anyway, I hate snakes. But so God's speaking to the serpent because you're going to crawl on the belly of the rest of your life. And he goes, in one day, and now he's not talking to the snake right now. He's talking to Satan. He's talking to evil. Saying, one day there's going to come someone, born of a woman, who's going to crush your head. He's going to destroy what you have done. You're going to bruise his heel in the process, but he is going to destroy this. And he's going to fix everything that was broken in the fall. This is the first promise of the Messiah. God looks at Adam and Eve. They've just sinned. God's perfect creation is shattered. He is passing judge on man. He's passing judgment on woman. He's passing judgment on Satan. But in the middle of his judgment on mankind, he gives them a glimmer of hope. He says, you messed up. You ruined everything. And because of your decision to rebel against me, you're going to have to suffer. You're going to have pain. You're going to have death. You're going to have heartache. You're going to be separated from me. But I'm not going to leave it this way forever. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to bring you back to me. You know what he's telling them? He's going, hey, it's going to be bad for a while. But there's hope. There's hope of restoration. There's hope of redemption of mankind. And this promise of hope, it's seen throughout the Old Testament. We, we see it in God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse number 3, when he comes to Abraham and says, And I will, bless, I will bless them that bless thee, 
and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So God comes to Adam and Eve and says, hey, punishment is coming because of your sin and your rebellion, but I'm going to make a way to fix it. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to fix the mess that was made by sin. And then years later, he comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I haven't forgotten what I told Adam and Eve in the beginning. The promise still stands. And hey, I'm going to fulfill that promise through your family. He gives another glimpse of hope. We see the promise of hope given again when God meets up with Jacob at Bethel in Genesis 28, verse 15. When he says, And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again unto this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done which I have spoken unto thee. God, he, so the, the, he renewed the promise and he went the covenant and he reinforced that hope and that was rooted in his faith. And he goes, hey, I, I'm still with you. I know that sin has separated us, but I'm still here with you and I'm still working to fix it and to make everything right. But time passed. Generations came and went. Centuries passed and still the promise wasn't fulfilled. Man grew impatient on waiting on God. In Israel, they would cry out to God in times of trouble. God, how long until you keep your word? How long until the promise is fulfilled? How long until you fix everything like you said you would? From Abraham to the prophets, there was a cycle in the life of Israel of devotion to God and neglect of God. There was prosperity and recession. There was feast and there was famine. There was pleasure and there was pain. And look, we looked at the Old Testament, we see this cycle of Israel and we realize they're not much different than we are. They're no different than we are. When, when things were good, they tended to forget about God. And then pain would come. And they'd cry out to God for help again. And that's how, sadly, most of us are. But through it all, through the rejection, through the, through the, the longing for God, through the, the rebellion and the devotion, through all of it, there was a deep longing for God to keep his promise of a Messiah. There was a deep longing for God to make everything right. They still had hope that God was going to fix everything. In the midst of that long journey of hope, we come to the prophet Isaiah, who, who wrote a lot, who taught a lot, who preached a lot, and who, who had a prominent role in Israel. And through Isaiah, God gives many prophecies about the coming Messiah, about how God's going to keep his word and, and fulfill his promise. And Isaiah was a voice of hope. Now, Isaiah lived 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, but he gave beautiful words that show hope of the Messiah. He says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah says, hey, God hasn't forgotten. God's going to continue to keep his word, and his promise is still good, and God will fulfill this promise. Another glimpse, another glimmer of hope. A virgin's going to conceive and give a child another glimmer of hope. Then he says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first the lightly afflicted by the hand of Zebulun in the land of Nepathai, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea, behold, Jordan and Galilee and the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon him hath that light shine. Then he says in verse number 6, 
He says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his, his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order and establish it in judgment with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord, the host, will perform this. So again, glimmers of hope and glimmers of hope and glimmers of hope where God throughout the Old Testament is telling the world I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to redeem everything. God's promises fueled his people to continue their hope for centuries. Then the Christmas story in Luke, the story of Luke, we, we meet a man named Zechariah. Zechariah, he, he would have been a well acquainted with the words and prophecies of Isaiah. He was a priest. He was a priest, and Luke described him as righteous and blameless. He was a follower of God, and he was a spiritual leader of his people. He longed for the fulfillment of God's promises. He longed for the coming Messiah. He had hope that God was going to send him, maybe in his lifetime. And then one day, God gave Zechariah a huge glimmer of hope. It had been 400 years since man had heard from God. They haven't, God hasn't spoken in 400 years. Think about how long 400 years are. America, we are only 243 years old. So um, imagine how old, how long 400 years are. Do you have a comparison? 400 years ago, North America was still being explored by the Europeans. 400 years ago, the Jamestown settlement had just been established. 400 years ago, Henry Hudson had just discovered the Hudson Bay. So yes, it's a long time ago, but we can still remember. We still have understanding what happened. So for, for Zechariah and his time, it had been 400 years since God had spoken. So it had been a long time, but they still remember, what they still have stories of what it was like. They still have an idea of what happened. So when the angel showed up and gave Zechariah a tremendous promise, it had incredible significance. So look in Luke chapter number 1, starting in verse number 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of, Ju of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the course of Abbi, and his wife was a daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless, they had, and they had no child. Because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went in to the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of the incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall, be turn, shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, uh, and to the disobedient, to the wisdom 
of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not be able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Now, Zacharias, he knew the prophecies of the Messiah. He knew that God had prophesied that there would be one who came uh, in the spirit of Elisha preparing the way of the God and, and preparing the way for the Lord to come. And so he knew that this was a miraculous occurrence every way you could, you could, you could look at it. Zacharias was, was, and his wife Elizabeth, they were old. They were too old to have kids, and this was a big deal for them. This was a big deal in that time. In those times, it was shameful, especially for women, not to be able to have kids. And I'm sure Zacharias and Elizabeth wanted kids. I'm sure they had prayed to God to give them children, but God had, for, for some reason until now, not allowed them to have children. They would have tried to have children, hoped and prayed that God would bless them, but it never happened for this couple. And the fact that they were childless would have been a burden to them. And so when Zacharias received a special angelic delivery, he was a little in shock. He was a little doubtful. He said pretty much the same thing Abraham said. God, I'm pretty old. Elizabeth, she ain't no spring chicken. I don't know how you're going to pull this off. Not forgetting he did it through Abraham so he could do it through him. And because of his doubt, God made sure that Zacharias remained literally speechless until John was born. Can you imagine the hope that sprang up in this couple when they got the news? Not just the hope that, hey, you're getting a child. Because, look, a child is incredible hope. Especially if you've been longing for one and praying for one and wanting one for so long. And God finally answers that prayer and you receive that child. Man, it's just it's incredible hope that, man, this is, this is awesome. But they didn't just get word they were receiving a child. They got word they were receiving the messenger who was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Which gave them hope, the Messiah is not far off. The Messiah is going to come very, very soon. The one prophesied to come in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah is coming. So God was moving to restore the hope that he is still here, that God with us is still coming, and they had hope again. God was coming to man to fix everything, to repair the brokenness to restore the relationships, to redeem man back to him. Now we can look at this promise. We can see how God fulfilled it. And we can say, man, that's, that's great for those people thousands of years ago. But what about us? What about me? They weren't fighting cancer. They didn't have a Severe illness and a loved one they had to deal with. They didn't lose a spouse to abandonment or to death. They didn't, they didn't lose their job with no warning and no, and no way to pay the bills or no way to put food on the table or no way to provide a, a Christmas gifts for the kids. And yeah, they had hope, but where's my hope? Where's my hope today? They had hope in the coming Messiah that God was coming to them. And the hope that we have is that God that came to them so many years ago is still with us today. No matter what problems, no matter what struggles you are facing, no matter what season of darkness you are in, we have hope. Hope is still alive today. 
Even in the deepest pain, the most hopeless circumstances, hope is alive because God is with us. God didn't come and then leave and he come up. It's not that God came once, he left for a while, he's coming. Yeah, he did, he did come physically. He did leave physically. He is coming again physically, but his spirit and his presence is still with us today. And that gives us hope. So how do we know? How can we find that tiny spark of hope when we're on the verge of giving up? How do we find hope during this Advent season no matter what kind of circumstances we are facing. Three ways we can find hope this morning real quick. I know you're like, man, that's, he just got through the introduction. And we're already 35 minutes into this puppy. I'm bringing it down, I promise. You'll be out before three, I guarantee, okay? There's hope. There's hope that I will be done soon, amen? So how do we find hope in this Advent season? First of all, oops, I forget this. We have hope based on God's word. We have hope based on God's word. Part of God being with us is the written word that God has left us. These are the promises. And look, a lot of times we can look at the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and we can look at the promises that God gave to them and think, man, I'm so glad God gave that promise to David. I'm so glad God gave that promise to Abraham. I'm so glad God gave that promise to Moses. Look, here's the thing. If it's written in the Word of God, that promise wasn't just for them. That promise is alive and good for us today. His prom these are his promises to his people, both long ago and today. They tell us that no matter what we are facing, no matter how bleak tomorrow may be, no matter how serious or how bad the pain, God will never leave us. God will never forsake us. And there is nothing that can separate us from him. You know, the apostle Paul said, what can separate us from the, spirit, from the presence of God? Can height nor depth nor angel nor presence? He lists everything. He goes, man, I can't get high enough away from God. I can't go deep enough to get away from God. Angels can't keep me away from God. He goes, there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Look what David said in Psalms 139, verse 7. He says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me. Thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. Even the night shall be light around me. Yea, darkness hideth not far from me, but the light shineth as a day. In the, dar the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Can you feel the hope that David has in these words? And look, David had some very dark times in his life. David had some times where his son died because of his sin. Can you imagine how dark and how, how horrible he must have felt in that and the, the pain he was dealing with? And he goes, God, even in that pain, you're with me. He, years later, he had one of, his, one of his children raped his daughter. The pain he had to feel. And said, so God, even in this, you're with me, God. Another son killed that son. And I'm going to be honest with you, he had it coming. Amen. Good for him, good for Absalom, doing what was right, doing what David should have done, amen. I'm going to get on a rabbit trail there. But Absalom kills the brother that raped Tamar, his sister. And then he tries to kill David and take the throne. David has to run from his only son, from his son. And 
has no idea what's going on. And even in those dark times, he goes, God, no matter how good my life is, no matter how bad my life feels, you are always with me. I always have hope because, God, even in the, the pits of hell, you're with me there. You are always with me and will never leave me. Here's the hope we have. You are never alone. God is always with you. God with us means that he is always with us and nothing can take that away. Scripture is filled with stories and words and promises that give us hope and remind us over and over and over again, I am always with you. We have hope that he's not done yet with his greatest and final work and his healing in our lives and our word. We have hope based on his word. Secondly, we have hope based on God's character. We can find hope not only in the promises of God, but in the one who is giving the promise. There's a story in the book of Mark that we, we sometimes overlook, but it's, a, it's an incredible story of hope. There's this woman. We don't even know her name. All we know about her is she has an issue of blood. She has a physical female problem. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She's gone to every doctor. They can't help her. She's gotten every self-help. She's, she's tried every essential oil known to man. Nothing worked. She's done everything. She has no more hope. She's used all her money. She's, because of her condition, she's unclean. Her husband can't even comfort her, can't even give her a hug because the law said she was unclean. He couldn't even touch her. So she's lonely. She's sad. She's, she's given up hope. But then she hears about Jesus. She hears about his healing. She hears about what he's doing, and she gets a glimmer of hope. And she thinks, if I can just, just touch his clothes, maybe, just maybe, I'll be healed. So one day he's walking through town, and she, she's weak, she's anemic, but she takes whatever strength she has left, and she forces her way through the crowd, and she touches the hem of his garment. And instantly she's healed. She knows it. She gets up rejoicing, so thankful, but then something happens. Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And it's, it's funny, his disciples are like, are you kidding me? Seriously? We've got hundreds of people crowding in on us. We're trying to, we're trying to guard you like secret service. And you're asking, who touched me? Everybody touched you, Jesus. And he goes, no, no, no. Something different. Somebody touched me. Now, look, Jesus knew who touched him. He knew what had happened. It wasn't like he, did, it wasn't like he didn't, didn't know. He knew what had happened, but he was doing something. And the Bible says this woman, it must have been hard for her, because the Bible says she was scared and trembling. I guess she figured, maybe I'm going to be punished for touching him. Because she was unclean and she touched, the, she touched him. How dare she be so bold to do that? But she comes, falls down before him, scared and trembling, and says, I, I was the one that touched you. And the Bible says, Jesus looked at her and said, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, be whole from thy plague. She was healed, she had peace, she had freedom, and it changed her life all because she had hope in God, in his character that he would do and could do what he said he was. That's our God, that's his character. Jesus is worthy and Jesus is still with us. 
He fulfilled Israel's hope of the Messiah when he arrived that first Christmas. He filled, fulfilled humanity's hope for victory over death when he resurrected that first Easter morning. And one day, he will ultimately fulfill all hope and complete God's work of restoration for all creation. And that's the promise that he has left for us when he said, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. This promise can fuel our hope because God is true to his character. Because of who he is, we can have hope in him. We have hope based on God's word. We have hope based on God's character. And finally, we have hope based on God's faithfulness. The third way we can find hope is by focusing on the faithfulness of God. Here's what I mean. How many times has God let you down? Not once. Now, I know you're thinking, well, what about that? No, no, no. God has never let you down. How many times, and here's a, here's a good thing, how many times can you know in your life where you can point to time and say, here's a time God came through in my life. All of us have those times where we can look at it and say, here's a time it was dark, it was gloomy, I had no idea what I was going to do, and God came through like God said he would. And we can point to time after time after time in our life where God has always kept his word, God has always been good to us, God has always been with us, and because of that we can point back and say, God has always helped me in the past, so I know God's going to help me today. There are moments or memories where we've experienced God moving in our life, and those are the times when you couldn't explain it, but you had no doubt he was there. You had no doubt he was working. Look at what Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3. He said, This I recall to my mind, therefore I ha have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Did you catch what he said at the beginning? I read this, I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. You know what he's saying? I remember how God has had his mercies new every morning already. So I have hope that tomorrow his mercy is going to be there for me. I remember how God has come through in my life in the past. Therefore, I have hope that God's going to come through for me now. Jeremiah understood that there is hope in the future when we remember what God has done in the past. He knew that hope sparks like a fire. It flows like water. It grows like a seed. Hope grows and spreads like a living thing. But it can also dwindle and fade. But with nurture and care, it can be revived and flourished again. Focusing on gratitude can renew and grow hope in our life. Recognizing and appreciating the good that God has shown us in the past can increase our hope for all that he's going to do in the future. In sharing this gratitude and hope with those who love and support us can multiply its effect. As we nurture this living hope, it can sustain us through our darkest days as we wait for God to move. The world doesn't offer a lot of hope for us. People let us down. Situations hurt us, and if we're looking to the world, there's no hope to be found. 
But we have a God that gives hope. We have a God that forgives, that heals, that restores, that redeems, and he is with us now. And that's the hope that we have this Advent season. God, who promised to redeem humanity, is with us today. What is your hope in this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father.